Hello and welcome back to the Going Dutch podcast, a look at the expletive, expletive world of German football. I'll let you decide which expletives you want in that part of the intro. I've got a few potential ideas myself, but I'm not going to share them with you because that would make this podcast explicit. Anyway, so it was a mixed bag of football this weekend. Got off to a very sour start, I think it's fair to say. And of course, the two games that will be leading the running order have a lot of negative stuff in them that we have to get through. Particularly the first game, there's been a lot of conversation about the game, the aftermath of the game, and there's been conversation about the conversations we've been having, which has made it all feel a bit meta. But after that, you know, there's a lot of interesting and good football to talk about, thankfully, because this podcast could be very depressing if that wasn't the case. But still, you know, we've got to try and remain upbeat and optimistic. We are coming into May. This is the first podcast that's going to be published in May of this year. Not in the world, just the first going Deutsch to be published in May. And there's a lot to look forward to in May. May's one of my favourite months. Obviously, we've got Bank Holiday, which, well, you've already been through because I'm uploading this on Tuesday. But also, the Eurovision Song Contest is on, the Giro d'Italia, we get to have the end of the football season, which is better news for some teams than it is for others. And just a lot of great sporting moments that are going to be fantastic to watch. Eurovision isn't a sporting moment, but it kind of feels like sports. It's like sports, but with singing. And that's what makes it so fun at the end of the day, that and Graham Norton's sarcasm. But anyway, this is not what this podcast is about. This podcast is about German football. Maybe I'm just delaying going into the first game because, oh boy, is it going to be a challenge. But anyway, welcome to the show today. I hope you're doing well and I hope this podcast finds you in good health as per usual. Yeah, like I said, the first game... And the second game are not going to be fun, but everything after that is pretty good. Obviously, St. Pauli won, so that's awesome. And this podcast probably isn't going to be as long as last week's record-going Deutsch podcast was at 1 hour 36 minutes, I think it was, in the end. So that's really going to be good for me when it comes to editing this. Anyway, let's, let's go into the Bundesliga. I've put it off for long enough. This is now... Three minutes of introduction. I I need to talk about it. And we need to start off, obviously, with the Friday night game. Last week, Borussia Dortmund had gone top of the Bundesliga with five games to go. And we thought, well, that's really good news, of course. And who knows, maybe they could now go on to win the title. Like the last time they took the lead of the Bundesliga, earlier on in the season... It took just one week for them to manage to lose it. And this time it might have been in even more devastating circumstances than it was last time. Bochum won, Borussia Dortmund won. Yes, that really did happen. And yes, it was depressing. Both of the goals came really early on in the game. Anthony Lucia giving Bochum the lead in the fifth minute. A shot from outside the box. But Gregor Kerbel just about got his hand on, but wasn't really able to do much about it. It was a really good effort, in all fairness, from Lucia. Kareem Adeyemi would make it one all, though, just two minutes later. 
So Borussia Dortmund had 83 minutes to go and get a winner. In the end, they wouldn't take any of their chances though. And to be honest, there were large periods of the game in which Dortmund seemed de-energised. There were large periods of the game in which Bochum, 16th placed Bochum, were significantly the better side. And to be honest, that's not good enough when you are gunning for the title. I know this is a local derby and I know that... There was a lot of pressure on Borussia Dortmund, but they have to be doing better than that. And I know that Dortmund fans are screaming at me right now and going, you're not talking about, we are going to talk about it. We are definitely going to talk about it. We're going to spend a lot of time talking about it. But we've got to at first acknowledge that whilst this wasn't a complete implosion from Borussia Dortmund, as we'll get on to later on, they would have won the game if something had happened, but... This still wasn't a perfect game. This still wasn't a good game. This still wasn't a performance that we can look back and say, wow, they played perfectly well. And they have put in way better performances over the course of this season. We noted last week in their win against Eintracht Frankfurt, it was a very Bayern-like performance. It was the sort of performance we've seen from Bayern Munich that has launched them to 10 straight Bundesliga titles, where they are clinical and cutting edge, and they scored exactly the right moment to make sure that they keep all the momentum. This was not how Dortmund played on Friday against Bochum. There were plenty of really good chances for Dortmund to score, though. Kareem Adeyemi had a few really good chances. Jude Bellingham did. Julian Brandt, Daniel Marlon all had really, really good chances in the first half. And then in the second half, there were quite a few good chances as well. Yourself and Makoko had an amazing chance just after the 70th minute, which he should have scored. And to be honest, they could have very easily lost this game as well if it wasn't for the defensive performance of Gregor Kerbel, of the back line, Mats Hummels, playing particularly well in this game as well. Bochum, like I said, had plenty of periods of the game where they were easily the better side. And if they had scored, I don't think Dortmund would have scored again. I don't think Dortmund would have been able to come back into this game to even get a point, to be perfectly honest. Another thing that I think is worth pointing out when it comes to why Borussia Dortmund didn't win this game is that Erdin Terzic, who has been getting better as a tactician over the course of the season, waited until the 73rd minute to make any adjustments to his side, to bring on any subs, to freshen things up, to try new ideas. And that was confusing because over the opening 28 minutes of the second half, it's not like Dortmund were absolutely fantastic and that you could sit there and go, well, they don't need to make any changes because the goal's coming any second now. No, they they weren't particularly great. And so, to be honest, I think Terzic should have done something about that a lot sooner. I think this is a criticism we can have about both Tuchel at Bayern and Terzic at Dortmund, is that in recent games where they've been struggling, they've been really reluctant to make any changes. You've got five substitutes nowadays. You know, it's not like the three substitute day where maybe you do want to save both subs. Maybe you might get an injury later on in the game. So that would make sense. But nowadays, you really should be implementing changes a lot sooner if you are not on top of the game entirely, and if, especially if you're not winning. And so Terzic should have probably done a lot more. 
So, there are notable criticisms to have with Borussia Dortmund in this game. There are reasons that you can point to from a Borussia Dortmund perspective that explain why they weren't able to take control of this game because they should have been running away with it. I know it's a local rivalry. I know it's going to be a challenge, but still, when you look at these two sides on paper, Dortmund should have easily been the better side of it. They should have been getting a convincing win. And part of the reason they didn't was because of Borussia Dortmund. However... We have to acknowledge the key part of this game and the key controversy from this game, which was the performance of referee Sasha Stegerman. This is why this game is going to be remembered and this is how this game is going to be remembered ultimately. The performance of Sasha Stegerman, simply put, was not good enough. He had an absolute nightmare day. And I've always believed in the idea of cock up over conspiracy. If you see a performance like this from a referee, there were a lot of people online, particularly those of the Borussia Dortmund persuasion, though I would still guess they make up a small minority of the fan base, who were saying, well, clearly he's rigged or he's been bribed or whatever. And not only do I not believe that because there's no evidence to suggest that, but also I don't believe that because even if there was more evidence to suggest it, I would still believe cock up over conspiracy bites. I'd still believe it was just that Stegerman had a bad performance. And he really did have a bad performance in this game. Obviously, the key conversation is centred around the two penalty calls that were ignored by Stegerman in the second half. We're going to start with the latter one first, the one that was on the doorstep of added time where Nicholas Sula was taken down in the box. A lot of the attention has been on the handball that was committed by the Bochum defender. I think it was Konstantinos Tefilidis. That's definitely how you say his name. I can't remember how you say his name, to be honest. That's why I pronounced it like that. But more than that for me is that he sort of lunges in towards the the ball and it does hit his arm but more importantly he wipes out Sula in the process and you know we obviously talk about while well, he got the ball but he got the ball with his arm so that really shouldn't matter and so for me that was a penalty if you're focusing on the handball it's not a penalty it's not a penalty because of handball it's a penalty because he fouled Nicholas Sula in the box that was the less egregious of the two calls though by that point there had been a lot of bad decisions in the game both concerning penalties and not and Borussia Dortmund were very wound up at this point that's why you saw the players really having a go at him Erdin Terzic getting booked for his protests as well the bigger one came in the 64th minute Kareem Adeyemi standing inside the box completely wiped out by Danilo Suarez and yet no penalty was given not only was it a stonewall penalty? It was a stonewall red card as well because he completely wipes out Adiyemi. It was dangerous. It was out of control. It was one of the worst fouls we've seen all season. And yet, Sasha Stegman not only didn't give him any card, he also didn't give a penalty at all. And that was absolutely, genuinely mind-boggling. There was also controversy with Bochum's only goal of the game because in the build-up, there was a clear foul from Philip Hoffman on Emre Chan, and yet that wasn't called either. So Stegerman had an absolute nightmare, and it wasn't just five, a load of other calls in the game, but obviously those three are the most notable of the decisions, and it's really 
hard to justify anything from Stegman's performance. He had a truly terrible game. The DFB have admitted that the first penalty of the night, Kareem Adeyemi, should have been a penalty. They said that the second one shouldn't have been because they talked about the handball rule. Again, I don't think it was a penalty because of handball. I think it was a penalty because he wiped out Nicolas Sula in the box but it was an understandable conclusion and I'm not saying that the second one was a stonewall penalty I'm just saying I would have given a penalty myself there obviously is a further discussion to be had with the decision making in this game because Stegerman wasn't the only one responsible for decisions of course he is backed up by VAR and the VAR official for the night was Robert Hartman and Robert Hartman has also been receiving a large amount of flack for his performance as he should be because how do you not inform the referee that that was a clear penalty particularly the Kareem Adeyemi one and ask him to go and look at the monitor because it would have been one thing if Stegman had gone and looked at the monitor and stuck with his decision and gone oh it's absolutely not a penalty and Stegman has since admitted yes it should have been a penalty he said that he wished he had been called over to the monitor you could say that's shifting the blame because oh my god he 100% should have seen it and it's really hard to explain how he didn't but at the same time he is correct it was a penalty and surely he would have seen that if he had gone and looked at the monitor so why did Robert Hartman not call him there well if you want to believe some who have their tinfoil hats on and actually we should all put our tinfoil hats on before this just so the government don't intercept our thoughts but <laughs> There has been a picture circulating on social media over the last few days of Robert Hartman holding up a Bayern Munich shirt. Now, Hartman is from Bavaria. He's from a village close to Munich. I can't remember the name of it now. If somebody said it, I would remember it. But honestly, it's not relevant. The point is that he is from Bavaria. And there is a picture of him circulating, holding up a Bayern Munich top which, I'll be honest, is not particularly good optics. There is a perfectly reasonable explanation as to why this photo exists. It was taken in June 2022 at a training event for referees in the Bayern region. Hartman, being a big-time referee, was invited as a special guest, and he answered questions from the members in attendance. Afterwards, he was given a gift from the colleagues attending the event speaking to build the referee Forsten Kinhofer said quote this is a normal process Bundesliga referees are often invited by clubs from the region to give lectures or training courses and of course as a small thank you they often receive a gift such as a jersey incidentally there used to be jerseys from the host club for the referee after the game unquote so it is perfectly reasonable and there's nothing really to talk about here except for the fact that everyone has been talking about it on the internet for the last two days and I kind of wish they'd stop. But you know, it's a perfectly innocent photo with a perfectly innocent explanation. I will say though it is bad optics. It doesn't it doesn't look great, right? I get it. I get the idea of giving refs gifts to thank them for taking time out of their day to attend these important sort of events to help refereeing at the lower levels of the German game but giving them a shirt 
of a club when they could be refereeing matches for rivals in the future. Just it feels like it's bad optics. Give them something else. Give them like a nice beer stein or something. I don't know. I'm not the best at giving gifts to people. I'm very unimaginative. But, you know, it feels like you can do other things in a football show. And then you wouldn't have these sort of images circulating on social media. I mean, it really doesn't matter in the long run anyway. But, you know, just think about it in the future, okay? So, yeah, this was a very bad game to watch. This was a very depressing game to watch. And it was the sort of game that makes you question how much you like football, to be perfectly honest. Before we move on to the next game, it is worth pointing out. No winning five for Bochum now. So they're still very much struggling when it comes to the relegation battle. Of course, with Dortmund dropping points, and then Bayern could go top of the league with a win. And of course they were going to win because they were playing to Berlin. They won 2-0 in the end and took their place back at top of the Bundesliga table. Because as has been well documented at this point, Borussia Dortmund are incapable of holding the lead of the league for more than one week. Obviously, we've already talked about the implications for the title, and we don't need to go into them anymore. Bayern Munich's lead at the top of the Bundesliga is at one point. But for Hertha Berlin, obviously, this is a big loss. A loss we all knew was coming, but still a significant loss. They've lost four on the bounce now in the Bundesliga. In the 13 games that have comprised the Rucklunder so far, they have just eight points, which comfortably puts them as the worst team in the Bundesliga over the second half of the season so far. This was a predictable game. This was a predictable outcome. Hertha managed to keep it goalless for the opening hour of the game, but we all knew this was going to happen, and we all knew that Bayern would take the lead of the Bundesliga again. So, obviously, that was heavy. We had to discuss games that I didn't want to discuss, and we had to discuss accusations of cheating and bias and the like. So, before we move on, we might all be in a bit of a down mood. So, let's lift everyone's spirits. I, I hope you're okay with this, but just for about 30 seconds, I'm going to review a different game from a different sport, and then we'll all feel a bit happier. So... Seattle Kraken 2, Colorado Avalanche 1. The Seattle Kraken have won their first ever playoff series, beating the Avalanche four games to three. Oh my god, what a performance. They they struggled through points in game seven, but Oliver Bjorkstrand with two great goals, Philip Grubauer, the German gentleman himself, putting in a fantastic performance and the Seattle Kraken absolutely fantastic in this seven game series against the reigning champions and knocking them out to go through to the second round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. I I loved it. I loved watching all the games and game seven was absolutely fantastic as the seconds counted down in that final minute it became clear that the Kraken were going to win. It was just pure relation. Absolutely incredible. A side who were not expected to do much this year, but they've really been the surprise of the NHL this season and deserve their place in the second round of the playoffs. Absolutely fantastic. Well done to Dave Hackstall and all the members of the Seattle Kraken who have created history. They've created history. That's the only thing 
that can be said. So that was sensational and my mood is already better. So, <sighs> and of course, Philip Grubauer playing fantastically, the German goaltender. So that's our tenuous link back to Germany. And let's continue in Germany with our next game, Schalke 2, Werder Bremen 1. A game that many Schalke fans will remember for a long time. It didn't start off that way, though. 18 minutes on the clock when Werder Bremen took the lead. And again, Marvin Ducks breaking through from a great Mitchell Weiser through ball to slot home. He has been fantastic over the last few weeks and really picked up the slack for an injured Niklas Fulkrug. And if they had got a second after that first goal, I don't think we're talking about a Schalke comeback. But in the 81st minute, Schalke would equalise a long throw-in. Really confusing the Werder Bremen defence, particularly Amos Peep, who just seemed to lose all sense of where he was. Eventually falling to Sepp van den Berg, who would hit it into the bottom corner. It looked like it was going to be a valuable point for Schalke, but... Then they had to defend that before they could go and get their second. Werder had some really good chances towards the end of the game. They should have made it 2-1. Marvin Ducks, in particular, really having a great chance late on. And it looked like it was going to be the last really good chance of the game. But in the 92nd minute, Rodrigo Zalazar with an amazing chipped ball to a wide-open Dominic Drexler in the box. He was able to get his feet sorted out and then sort of weakly slotted past Pavlenka. But to be honest, if it goes in, it goes in. There's a lot to be desired from the Verde defending for that goal. But to be honest, I'm 99.9% .9 sure that Schalke won't particularly care about that. Because they got what could be an absolutely vital win in the battle for survival. Because... With four games to go, they're only one point behind 15th place Stuttgart, but they have an absolute gauntlet remaining for them. Their final fixtures, Mainz, Bayern, Leipzig, Frankfurt, which isn't the cuddliest run possible. I had a small dig last week at comments Alexander Schlowell made, but this week I think he made a really good point, which is that some of those teams might have nothing to play for by the time that... Schalke face them. I think that's particularly in regards to Leipzig and Frankfurt. So that could aid them. And that is the positive that Schalke have to take. Because like we said last week, this was a must-win game for Schalke because of those final four fixtures. So this does give them some cause for optimism. And it will be a big morale boost to have turned that game around in the way they did. But they've still got quite the challenge remaining. Meanwhile for Werder Bremen, well, they're still on 35 points. So, they're still probably safe. They're seven points clear of Bochum with four games to go. Stuttgart 2, Borussia Mönchengladbach 1. A vital win for Stuttgart in the battle against relegation. Entering the weekend, they were 16th in the table. Obviously, the relegation playoff place are behind Bochum, but they have leapfrogged over Bochum with this win. They opened the scoring of a 22nd minute sale, Garassi, with a very skillful finish. However, in the second half, Borussia Mönchengladbach would get level. Julian Weigel converting a penalty. But then, Stuttgart winning the game in the 83rd minute through an absolute moment of insanity 
by Co. Itakurva, who decided that, you know, for absolutely no reason whatsoever, he wanted to become the coat of Thiago Tomas. As Tomas was running through, he just started grabbing hold of him and trying to get onto his back. And obviously, Tomas goes to ground in the box for the penalty, and Itakurva was sent off. And I think that was a correct decision. I don't think in a situation like this where the doctrine of double jeopardy really holds up because it was just purely a cynical challenge trying to bring him down at all costs and for me that should be a red card in 100% of circumstances. Tangai Koulibaly would step up and convert the spot kick and Stuttgart would hold on for the win. They were the better side through most of the game to be honest. I do think they deserved this victory and it is one that could be absolutely vital for them in the race against relegation for the obvious reason that we've already mentioned still only level on points with 16th place Bochum and because of Schalke's win of the weekend they're only one point ahead of Schalke so there's still all to play for in the very exciting battle against relegation We'll be talking about the league table at the end, of course, but it really could not be tied to it. It's absolutely fantastic. Unless, of course, you're one of the teams in it, in which case it's absolutely not fantastic. One of the sides who are slightly out of the relegation battle, but not really, are Augsburg, who are three points clear of the drop, and that's the case because they drew one all this weekend with Eintracht Frankfurt. Eintracht didn't actually score a goal in this game, both goals coming from Augsburg, but as you can probably guess, that means that one of them was put into their own net, and that was the first goal of the game of the 25th minute, Alvis Rexbergi turning a cross into his own goal. But Augsburg, who were the better side throughout the game, it must be said, would equalise the 58th minute with Demirovic, a spinning volley, absolutely fantastic from the striker. To be honest, whilst I say that Augsburg were the best side, and they were the best side, they still weren't good. This was a very uninspiring game, and it finished with the correct result. Despite the fact that they got a point in this game, it's now no winning seven for Augsburg, so they are still slipping in the wrong direction. And like I said, only three points ahead of the relegation places now. They're going to be seriously sweating. They cannot have this form continue any longer. They do feel like they're doing a Werder Bremen 2020-21. Still, they've not been good. Neither have Eintracht Frankfurt. Over their last 10 games, they have picked up just 8 points. That's the second worst in the Bundesliga to Hertha Berlin. And to be honest, the mood around Eintracht Frankfurt at the moment isn't great. Which is weird because, of course, in midweek... They're going to be playing in the DFB Pokal semi-final, so they still have a chance of picking up some silverware this year and getting into Europe again next year in the Europa League, which is a competition that we know they're quite good at. But it's hard to have any real faith that Eintracht Frankfurt will be able to do anything winless in nine now. And the worst part about this game was that against Augsburg, who, you know, are not exactly the defensive juggernaut of the Bundesliga. They had one shot on target. Now, it is worth pointing out that Rando Kadamwani is injured, but 
even with that being considered, in this game, they had Raphael Bova, Mario Goethe and Daichi Kamada. Oh, and Ansgar Nauf played as well. And they brought on Jesper Lindstrom and they brought on Paxton Aronson. And yet still, one shot on target. It's just not good enough. And earlier on in the season, we were talking about how there were worries about Oliver Glasner's contract. Because, you know, it was expiring at the end of the year. And Frankfurt were very keen to make sure he remained in charge of the club for next season. Well, now he's on the verge of losing his job. Because this fall from grace has been so sharp that they have every right to contemplate a new manager. Speaking after the game, Kevin Trapp said, It wasn't a really good game from us. We made a lot of mistakes. Unfortunately, we have to explain results week after week. And yeah, this is another result that is going to be very hard for Eintracht Frankfurt to explain to their fans. It is a massive silver lining for Oliver Glasner, but he does have the DFB Pakal to potentially save this season for Eintracht Frankfurt because failure to get to the final now, especially because they're playing Stuttgart in the semis, would make this season be seen as a colossal failure. If there is one positive, they are st only still three points off a Europa Conference League spot. And of course, with the Pakal, they could get into the Europa League. So this season is still salvageable. But they cannot play like that again all season because any chance of success will completely disappear. Wolfsburg 3 minds nil. Definitely not the results we expected. Obviously, Wolfsburg a very good side, and both sides still very much involved in the battle for Europe. But with how well both Fenton and Mines have been doing recently, this felt like a game in which we viewed Mines as the clear favourites. However, it was over by the 28th minute, Wolfsburg going 3-0 up in that span, and after that happened, the game sort of petered out. The first goal of the game would come in the 5th minute, Matthias Svanberg, with an absolutely fantastic one-touch, no-look assist to play through Jonas Vind. Honestly, it was like Patrick Mahomes decided to take up European football and just delivering the same way he does in the NFL because that was one of the best passes of the entire season in my opinion was absolutely fantastic. Sebastian Burnow would make it 2-0 in the 13th minute heading in a Patrick Vimmer cross and then Jonas Vind would have a tap in in the 28th minute to make it 3-0. A really good cross by Reid Labaku to set that up. And that was game over at that point. There was no chance that Mines were going to come back into it. Sylvan Vidmer would get a pretty bad looking injury in the second half and would be stretched off. Meanwhile for Wolfsburg there's been news that Maxence Lacroix is going to be out for the rest of the season. Which is obviously not good news for them. He was only able to make it to half time before being subbed off. But yeah, we all expected that Mines would win this game and continue their charge up into Europe. But Wolfsburg being the better side throughout the game and more than deserving this victory. They're now up into 7th the Europa Conference League spot, unless Stuttgart win the DFB Pokal, which feels unlikely. But that's absolutely fantastic news for them, of course. Niko Kovac's side have been 
up and down so far this season, I think it's safe to say, but they, with four games to go, are currently holding on to a European spot. By the way, I feel like I probably should mention this. I know with the new European system that UEFA are implementing, which is absolutely terrible, there's extra spaces for two countries based off coefficient rankings. I don't know if Germany has one of those spaces. I don't think they do, because I've not heard anyone else say that. But there's a chance that eighth is a European spot, but I don't think it is. But anyway, this is one of the many reasons why UEFA's reforms are absolutely beyond terrible. Anyway, Köln nil, Freiburg won. The only goal of the game coming from Ritsu Doan. It wasn't exactly an inspiring game for anyone. It was incredibly boring. But what it does mean is that Freiburg have won three in a row and they are still in a Champions League spot, fourth on 56 points with four games to go. So absolutely fantastic for them. Both sides did have their chances and maybe this game could have ended 2-1, but Freiburg were probably just about the better side and did deserve to win. Leipzig 1, Hoffenheim 0, Al Plastico, as they call it in Germany, and understandably so. The only goal of the game coming from Christopher Nkunku, who obviously has been missing for quite a while. His return, crucial for Leipzig as they try and get back into the Champions League spots. Fifth in the league at the moment on 54 points. But they were easily the better side against Hoffenheim. They could have won by a lot more as well for Hoffenheim obviously still struggling in the battle against the drop they're currently on 29 points in 14th so only one point ahead of Bochum in 16th and two points ahead of Schalke in 17th so still struggling as they attempt to fight against drop no winning three now for Pellegrino Matarazzo's men Final game to mention, Union Berlin nil, Bayer Leverkusen nil. Union Berlin coming out in this game in a special kit with Mellow Park on it, the skate park opposite the stadium. I didn't realise this because I, I was, obviously I, I went to the Stadion Andalta first around, I saw Mellow Park. I didn't realise it's the biggest skate park in Europe apparently, which is absolutely fantastic and Red Bull do a lot of events there and the Audi do or sponsor a lot of events there i should say and yeah that was quite a surprise so they were the sponsor on this special kit which did look very nice and you know there were a lot of chances for both sides and i were able to score i don't think either side's too negative about how this game finished because for union berlin they got a point off the side who are currently germany's informed side by leverkusen have been absolutely sensational over the last few months under chabi alonso so they're probably happy we're getting a point over them. Obviously, they're still in the Champions League places, third on 56 points. So they didn't really lose out. And that's one of the hardest fixtures they've got remaining. If not the hardest fixture remaining, ticked off with them still holding on to one of those Champions League places. Meanwhile, for Bayer Leverkusen, nobody's won at the Stadion and Alta first try since Borussia Dortmund in February of last year. I can't remember if that was mentioned on the pilot episode of the podcast or... If it was the week before the pilot episode, when I was thinking about doing it that week and then decided to abandon it and start it the week after. But yeah, it's weird to think that there might not have been a Union Berlin home loss covered on Going Deutsch yet. So to fail to get a win of the Stadion and Alta first try is not 
a bad thing and getting a point off Union Berlin always challenging at home so they're not going to be complaining too much about this game either. Anyway let's have a look at the Bundesliga table then after 30 games. <sighs> Bayern Munich lead 62 points. Borussia Dortmund second 61. Hey Union Berlin are still in the Champions League places so that's cool. 56 points third place. Freiburg Having won their last three, fourth on 56 as well. Leipzig, fifth on 54. By Leverkusen, sixth on 48. Wolfsburg, seventh on 46. Mainz, eighth on 45. And Eintracht Frankfurt, ninth on 43. At the wrong end of the table, Hertha Berlin, 22 points from 30 games after four defeats on the bounce. Schalke on 27 points in 17 from them. A really compact field. 16th, Bochum on 28. 15th, Stuttgart on 28. 14th, Hoffenheim on 29. 13th, Augsburg on 31. So still a very intriguing relegation battle with four games to go. Okay, and with the first overall pick in the European League draft... The Going Deutsch podcast selects the Zweite Bundesliga, second tier, Germany. It was the NFL draft this weekend, before you ask why <laughs> I decided to open with that. But we've drafted the Zweite Bundesliga, so it's time to review these Zweite Bundesliga games. Starting off with the leaders, Darmstadt, getting another win on their road to promotion, 3-0 against Holstein Kiel. And there wasn't really a period in this game where Darmstadt felt like they weren't going to win this game. They opened the scoring in the sixth minute, the ball pinballing around the box before Yannick Muller would score. Simon Lorenz then put it into his own net to make it 2-0 for Darmstadt. To be honest, they've been really good all year. I don't know how much help they need. And then 3-0 in the second half, Braden Manu playing through Philip Tietz. And that could be an absolutely massive win for Darmstadt. We'll talk about the other games in a bit, but they are now just two wins away from promotion to the Bundesliga. And their promotion could be secured as early as next week if results fall their way. So, Darmstadt taking a monumental step on the road to a return to the top flight. Another team taking care of business, Heidenheim, who won 2-0 this weekend away at Greuther Firth in another regulation comfortable victory. The promotion contenders doing much better than their counterparts. Opening the scoring of the 7th minute, it was nearly one of the funniest stone goals of the season. Had, <laughs> had it actually happened, I think it would have been one I would have been saving and remembering for a long time. But Damian Michalski, the Greuther Firth defender, essentially chipped Andreas Linder and nearly, you know, chipped it over him and into the net, but it hit the post and it's a shame because that would have been an own goal of the season. It came straight back out though for Tim Kleindians who had a tap-in for his 23rd goal of the season. He's been absolutely sensational this campaign for Heidenheim. But that one was easy for him. One of the easiest goals he's scored this season, no doubt. So it was a defensive screw-up for the first goal. And by the way, if there's one thing you watch from this weekend of the Spider Bundesliga, make it that goal because it was hilarious. 
I think technically it counts as a great assist from Damian Machowski myself, but that, that's just my opinion. Anyway, so a defensive screw-up for the first goal. There was also a defensive screw-up for the second. Andreas Linder taking far too long on the ball for going to first keeper. Tim Kleindienst ran into him and the ball would fly out into the path of Jan Niklas Bester, who would slot into an empty net from outside the box. There's probably a debate to be had about whether this goal should have stood because... Kleindians absolutely babbles into the goalkeeper whilst he's in possession of the ball, but to be honest, I still think that's a goalkeeper ever, and I don't like the idea of punishing strikers because the goalkeeper was stupid, so I absolutely understand the goal standing. So, obviously... Heidenheim with a comfortable victory, Darmstadt with a comfortable victory, but the other promotion contender would slip this weekend. Magdeburg 3, HSV 2. Hamburg would have two goals disallowed early for offside. I think I think both of them were disallowed by VAR. The correct call on both, they were marginal offsides, but offsides nonetheless. When the ball would hit the back of the net for the third time, it would be Magdeburg who would be getting the ball across the line. And this one would stand Moritz Brony quoting with lots of space in the box and a fantastic backflip to celebrate. Definitely celebration of the weekend in my opinion. Dominic Ryman deserves a lot of credit for this game. The Magdeburg keeper made a few really impressive saves, but one in particular... He sort of had made a mistake before a long, not really threatening shot, but he deflected into the path of a Hamburg attacker. It might have been Sonny Kittel. And he elbowed the next shot over. It was absolutely fantastic from Ryman. And we'll get back on to keepers saving shots with their elbows later on. It was a real instinctive sort of reflex save. It was absolutely fantastic from him. And definitely made up for the ever because if Kittel had scored there, then we would all be talking about the fact that he really should have caught that first attempt. He didn't have to deflect it into the path of an oncoming attacker. Anyway, Sonny Kittel would score later on in the 42nd minute, just about onside. And then cutting inside his defender to level the scoring in the second half, HSV would be given a penalty, but VAR would overturn it because it turned out that Daniel Alfadli slightly got the ball before taking out Robert Glatzel. It was the correct decision, and this is where that comment was going to end. We're going to move on to the rest of the game, but I'll be honest, I didn't know this at the time. I've just found out that the person on VAR who correctly overturned two goals to HSV that were offside and correctly told the referee to go and look at the monitor to disallow that penalty was Robert Hartman, the guy who was on VAR for Boken Borussia Dortmund. <laughs> oh, laugh so you don't cry. But yeah, you know what? Fair enough, he made the correct decisions in this game. He had a perfectly good performance. Lotus Matthias... Speaking on Sky Sports in Germany, didn't agree with that. He said that not only should Hartman not have been doing there after that game, but also he didn't agree with the penalty overturning. But that's just because he's wrong. There's probably a reasonable point to make about whether referees should be sort of thrown back into the arena, so to speak, after such a controversial and emotionally charged game. 
But to be honest, I agree with all of the decisions I saw from him in this game. So I don't think there's too much to complain about there. Anyway, after that, Magdeburg would get two goals, maybe helped by a deflated HSV. Baris Attic would get the first day neat finish from outside the box into the top corner. And then Tatsuya Ito in the 86th minute, cutting inside his defender before hitting into the side of the net. Not the side netting, but like, you know, inside the goal, but in the side. So, it wasn't like the ghost goal from, God, how many years ago that was. When was that? Like, 2013? Oh, God, I'm getting old. Anyway, Hamburger would get one back in the 94th minute, Ludovic Rice with that one. But it was too little, too late. It is fair to say that HSV were lucky at times and that Dominic Ryman was absolutely amazing at times. But it is three massive points dropped in the race for promotion. Obviously, we're going to recap the table at the end. But Darmstadt 64, Heidenheim 60, Hamburg now on 56. So they're four points behind Heidenheim with four games to go. I'll be honest, I don't think many of them will be fussed by the idea of not winning the Spider Bundesliga. I think promotions, obviously, what they're more focused on. But they do need now multiple slip-ups from Heidenheim over these last four games to get promotion at least automatically. We know that they can get promoted through the promotion playoffs, but we also know that it's really difficult to get promoted through the promotion playoffs. As HSV proved last year when they lost to Hertha Berlin, they've got a really big game coming up this weekend, which we'll be talking about in top speed Das Wochenende. Meanwhile, for Magdeburg, 11th in the league, 38 points. Obviously, no real threat of going down anymore. Nine points clear of Armenia Bielefeld with four games to go. But they're the second best side in the Spider Bundesliga over the last five games. Only Darmstadt have picked up more points than Magdeburg, who have picked up 10 in five. So, absolutely fantastic for them. Picking up form at exactly the right time in the season to make sure that they will have another season in the Spider Bundesliga. Paderborn 5, Eintracht, Braunschweig 1. Do you remember when we talked about Wolfsburg 5, Bochum 1 last week? And we said that, you know, Wolfsburg and Bochum were actually quite even. And that's why it was such a weird scoreline. Yeah, this wasn't that. This was absolutely a accurate reflection of how the game went. Julian Jusfan giving Paderborn the lead with a header. Raphael Obermeyer also scoring in the first half, rounding off some amazing passing, playing really tight spaces. That was probably the best goal of the day from Paderborn. Really worth watching. Cyril Conta would make it 3-0 in the second half with an open goal tapping after really good work on that actually from Florence Musselia in the build-up. Anthony Uja would make it 3-1 getting Eintracht Braunschweig's on the goal of the game. But Paderborn would add two more late on. Dennis Sabeni with a wide open head over the back post in the 90th minute. All of the Eintracht Braunschweig defenders were ball watching. And that's like the first thing they tell you not to do if you try and become a defender. I tried that once. It was a massive failure. <laughs> when I played football, I really unsuccessfully played centre-back, just in case you wanted to know. Anyway, Dennis Sabeni would make it 5-1 in the 94th minute. Complete domination by Paderborn, helped especially towards the end of the game by really poor Eintracht Braunschweig defending. I think 
for the third, fourth and fifth goals, the defending really should have been better. You could argue that for the second goal as well, to be honest. But yeah, a comfortable win for Paderborn. And it does set up a somewhat exciting scenario for them because last week I said, well, obviously the top three are going to remain the top three by the end of the season. And, you know, the only thing that's left to determine is which two get promoted and which one goes for promotion playoffs. But that might not be the case anymore. And you'll see why when we get on to Topsfield, Das, Fockenender. Based on the two sides I've mentioned, you can probably guess what the game is already. Anyway... Fortuna Dusseldorf 3, Karlsruhe 2. This was a really good game, really exciting game. Decided late on as well. Mikhail Kaufman opened the scoring for Karlsruhe. A long-range shot just getting past the fingertips of Florian Kastenmeier. But Fortuna Dusseldorf would equalise just five minutes after that goal. Christopher Peterson and David Kornatsky. Apparently it's Kornatsky. I think I've been saying Koronaki, but it's... It's Konatsky, which it doesn't look like it should be, but apparently it is. That's what the commentator said on the highlights I was watching, so Konatsky it is. Anyway, Peterson and Konatsky playing a great one-two before the former would slot in from a narrow angle. But Karlsruhe would respond. They would take the lead in the second half. A free kick was deflected to Patrick Heiser who drilled it into the bottom corner. Again, Florian Katzenmeier, the Fortuna Dusseldorf keeper and former Red Star FC legend. Probably could have done more with this one. But Dusseldorf would respond. They were able to respond very well to all challenges they faced. This one coming just six minutes after Karlsruhe's second. Coming from Matthias Zimmerman. And it was at this point that Florian Kastenmeier really earned his keep. Because he was fantastic after that second goal for Dusseldorf. Because Karlsruhe had a lot of good chances to make it 3-2. There was one that was absolutely fantastic from him. A... Reflective elbow save, like the one we we'll talked about with Ryman earlier, and just as good as that one as well. It was absolutely sensational from Florian Kastenmeier. That not only saved a point for Fortuna Dusseldorf, it would eventually give them all three because in the 93rd minute, Jordi Device would make it 3 2. By the way, if you're an English football fan and you don't follow German football as closely, Jordi Device used to play for Hull. So if you've heard that name before, that's probably where so yeah a really good win for Fortuna Dusseldorf it does I guess kind of keep their season alive but also not really still a really memorable performance and a really good win for them it's hard to say if that win will be important for Fortuna Dusseldorf but it's very safe to say that Sandhausen's win this weekend was very crucial for their chances of staying up in the Spider Bundesliga. Sandhausen 2, Jan Regensburg 1, the relegation 6-pointer and a absolutely vital win for Sandhausen, a good win as well. Opening the scoring for Sandhausen, Merve Papela, I think is how you say his name, but he scored for Sandhausen, his shot taking a big deflection before going in. Before any other goal, there was an absolute moment of weirdness, I guess. That's the only way to put it. The other refereeing controversy this weekend in, in Germany... But Dennis Eiterking, the referee, and one of the best referees in Germany, caught up in a collision, and he was just checking his legs to make sure he was okay, you know, 
you know, like when you get injured, you like just feeling everything, making sure everything's, you know, fine. And you had this really weird incident. I don't know how else to put it. Where Kamal Adami from Sandhausen was trying to check that he was okay and, you know, walked up to him and, are you okay? Is everything okay? And then Benedict Gimber from Jan Regensburg sort of shoved him out of the way so that he could check on Dennis Eitkin. And at that point, Adami sort of pushed Benedict Gimber. He fell to the ground and Dennis Eitkin nearly fell with him and he looked quite annoyed at Adami after that. But go and look this up if you can. It was on the oh, it was on the highlights I was watching. But it was just so odd that both of them were like trying to check on the referee. No, I want to check on him. No, I want to check on him. They start pushing each other and then King nearly falls to the ground himself. It was just so odd. I don't know I don't know how else to put it anyway. <laughs> oh, it was it was funny. It was it was absolutely hilarious. It, he he didn't look amused. Itakin, he looked quite annoyed at what happened, but to be honest, he could probably appreciate that both the players were trying to check that he was okay. Anyway, Davio Dumich would make it 2-0 for Sandhausen in the 52nd minute a header from a corner. Prince Uosu would get one back for Jan Regensburg, definitely the best goal of the game. Great control before smashing it into the top corner from close range. But they wouldn't score another goal. They would get a man sent off though, which is almost as good. Okay, no it's not. But Guevara with a very high boot to the head. He seemed to accept it immediately. I think he knew that he had done wrong there. So for Sandhausen... We sort of had written off their season when Thomas Aral was sacked. So, I'm sorry, I don't mean to drag you into this. I had written off their season when Thomas Aral was sacked. I need to take more responsibility for my comments on this podcast. But since Gerhard Kleppinger took over, seven points in three games. Absolutely fantastic. What it means is that they're only one point behind 16th place Armenia Bielefeld and just three points behind 15th place Hansa Vostok. So they have every chance of staying up now. That is not something I expected when Aral was sacked. Not that sacking Aral was a bad decision. It was absolutely the correct decision, but they were in such a hole at that point that it felt like they had no chance of staying up. But give credit to Kleppinger, give credit to Sandhausen, they've really turned their form around. Meanwhile, Jan Regensburg are the out-of-form team of the Spice League, and no winning five for them now. They are slipping at exactly the wrong time, 17th in the table. Still only one point off Armenia Bielefeld, three off Hansa Rostock. They're level on points with Sandhausen with a superior goal difference. So they do have a chance to turn it around, but they need to pick up form and fast. St. Pauli 2, Armenia Bielefeld 1. Bielefeld also struggling towards the end of the season, and it is not out of a question that they could suffer back-to-back relegations. The opening goal coming in the 53rd minute, Liat Pacarada with an amazing long ball through to Marcel Hartl, who would slot past Martin Freisel. Absolutely the best assist of the weekend. Absolutely no doubt about that. Just fantastic from Pacarada. Then 2 0 in the 69th minute, Zvigala heading on inside the box for Lucas Dashner, who would volley into the bottom corner. I mean, you'd be able to find we're heavily protesting this for something. Who cares? 
Anyway, they would get a goal back in the 73rd minute. Your main Consbrook with a header, really poor defending from St. Pauli though in that situation. Anyway, St. Pauli would hold on for the win, a uplifting win for the boys in Brown after some not very enjoyable weeks of football, particularly, you know, the, the bad game against the bad team. But they did deserve to win this game. They were easily the better side throughout. And I think outside of that, lapse of concentration from a St. Pauli defence that allowed Bielefeld to score, they weren't really threatened through much of the game. This is a big result for Bielefeld. They are in the relegation playoff place as a result of this defeat. Oh, and it's no winning four for them now. Hanover 3, Nuremberg 0. Hanover with a deserved win in this one in a match that, let's face it, doesn't really matter. They would open the scoring in the 43rd minute. Julian Borner heading in a free kick. Derek Kern would make it 2-0 just after the beginning of the second half of an impressive long-range hit. And then Maxi Bayer would make it 3-0 in the 70th minute, finishing off some good passing play. So a deserved win for Hanover. Nuremberg, meanwhile, just four points off the relegation places with four games to go. So they are by no means safe. Final game to mention, Kaislautern nil, Hansa Rostock 1. Hansa Rostock moving out of the relegation places as a result of that win. I believe they were 17th going into this match day and they've gone up into 15th. So an absolutely vital three points for them. The only goal of the game, a Kai Proger strike from long range. Very impressive. His attempt to do a cartwheel afterwards was less impressive because he immediately fell over. <laughs> I mean, he was laughing about it. He found it funny himself. But yeah, maybe don't become an Olympic gymnast after your career ends, Kai. That's all I'm saying. It was a low quality game in all fairness. I don't think either side played particularly well. But obviously, Hansa Rostock will not care too much because... Well, we've put in better performances this season and lost. They need points at the moment, and I would very much like them to not get any. Anyway, let's have a look at the Spider Bundesliga table then after 30 match days. Darmstadt lead the way 64 points from those 30 games. They are eight points clear of Hamburger with four games to go. So they could wrap up promotion as early as next weekend. Hopefully, if they don't wrap up promotion next week, they won't be, you know, over the top about it, like those Napoli fans crying, despite the fact they're like, all the points clear in Serie A, I mean, honestly, get a life. They were kids, in all fairness, but still, it was, that's not an excuse. Heidenheim second, 60 points from 30 games. Four points clear of Hamburger, 56 points. And then Paderborn fourth on 50, which is the same number of points as St. Pauli in fifth. And Fortuna Dusseldorf in sixth half. At the wrong end of the table, Sandhausen still bottom of the league, but definitely moving in the correct direction. Points-wise, 28 points from 30 games. Same number of points for Jan Regensburg have in 17th. Arminia Bielefeld on 29 are in 16th. Hunter Vostok 31, 15th. And Trot Braunschweig 32, 14th. And Nuremberg, 33, 13th, are the sides who are in serious danger of getting relegated. Okay, time for the Dritter League then. And Alversberg continue to stumble at the top of the league. Just one point through their last four games. They lost 2 0 this weekend away at Borussia Dortmund. Fine. Luckily for them though, none of the other top four were able to take advantage 
Freiburg's fight only had five points themselves on their last five games. They drew one all this weekend with Dinamo Dresden, who are in fourth. Meanwhile, Vehan, who had the chance to really close the gap at the top as well, losing 2-1 at home to Meppen. Yes, previously bottom of the league, Meppen. So, well done, them. Meanwhile, Osnabrück would win their third game in a row to go level on points with Dinamo Dresden. They won 4-3 against Zwakow in an absolutely fantastic game. Three goals coming past the 87th minute as well. Simakala making it 3-2 to Osnabrück in the 87th minute. Then Asibe Mensa making it 3 all in the 89th minute before Simakala would make it 4-3 in the 95th minute. Absolutely fantastic. Go and watch highlights to this game if you can. I believe, I, I think I've said this before, but Magnetosport upload the Dritter League highlights onto their YouTube channel and they are available to watch in the UK as well as in Europe. So absolutely fantastic. Meanwhile, Saarbrücken also got a big win 2-0 against 1860 Munich and Wardorf Mannheim would win 4-1 against Hallescher. So still a really deep field contending for promotion with four games to go over Dritter Liga. Absolutely fantastic, and I know that like only one listener is probably going to be converted and actually watch a game from the Dritter like next weekend. Even I might not watch any games from the Dritter this weekend, but still, the league is phenomenal. So, Alversberg top on 67 points, Freiburg Schwei on 64, obviously can't get promoted. Vehen in the automatic promotion spot on 63 points, Dinamo Dresden in the playoff spot on 60 points, then Osnabrück on 60 points, Saarbrücken on 59, and Wardorf Mannheim on 57, absolutely fantastic. At the wrong end of the table, we've already mentioned Svakau losing 4-3 to Osnabrück, they're now bottom of the league and almost certainly going down 7 points away from safety with 4 games to go. Meppen have won 2 on the bounce, they won 2-1 against Vehan as mentioned. Is it too little too late? They're still 5 points behind Hallescher with 4 games to go. Bayreuth have lost their 4th game on the bounce, 4-0 at home to Duisburg. Meanwhile, Oldenburg have drawn again 0-0 against Essen. Two draws on the bounce, but five points from their last three games is good for a side in relegation trouble. So it's back out on 28 points, Meppen on 30, Bayreuth on 31, Oldenburg on 32. Three points behind Hallescher, who are really the only other side who could get relegated. They lost for the second weekend in a row, 4-1 away at Waldhof Mannheim. And now let's move on to the newest feature of the podcast called Things Alex Forgot to Mention During the Dritter League Review. If you want to create a royalty-free jingle for this segment of the podcast, do feel free. Though, to be honest, I hope that it's a segment that we will not be repeating in the future. There were two news stories that I wanted to talk about but forgot First of all, there are a lot of rumours saying that Rottweiss Essen could be signing Simon Terodde. Apparently he was spotted in the stands during their game against Waldhof Mannheim. So that'll be a very interesting move. Obviously Terodde has confirmed that he will be leaving Schalke at the end of the season. So it'll be interesting to see if he can replicate his fighter Bundesliga form in the Dritter. I would guess that he would be able to do that. But the main story I wanted to talk about in the Dritter League, the match between Vehen and Meppen. During the game, the linesman sustained an injury. He wasn't able to continue and there was no fourth official for this game. Obviously, he would be the person who would normally step in in this situation. 
So they had to go on the tannoy at the stadium and ask for any official, if there was any in attendance, who would be able to step in for the linesman. And luckily, there was an official who could step in for the linesman. Step forward, Yanis Yaska, who I probably pronounced the name wrong of. But he was in attendance for the match as a fan. But he just happens to be a fifth division referee. Obviously, that's the Oberliga in Germany. And it's a semi-professional league. So, you know, something he just does on the side and yeah he was able to step in absolutely fantastic it was his debut in professional football we absolutely love to see it so yeah someone in the crowd there able to save the game between Vehen and Meppen absolutely fantastic of him to be able to do that before we move on by the way it would be wrong of me to not mention that I watched the UEFA Women's Champions League game last night between Arsenal and Wolfsburg. Absolutely fantastic game. I highly recommend going and finding it. I believe the company that I call Dazen, I refuse to call them by what they want to be called, have put the highlights on YouTube. They were streaming the full game on YouTube as well, which was absolutely fantastic. And it was an amazing game as well. The Emirates sold out for this game as well, which was fantastic. But Wolfsburg winning 3-2 against Arsenal and going through 5-4 on aggregate. That final goal coming in the 119th minute. So, really dramatic as well. It was an absolutely fantastic game. Like I said, go and watch the highlights. It means that Wolfsburg progressed to their sixth Champions League final in the last 10 years. They'll be facing the vaunted Barcelona side, who have been just so good in women's football over the last few years. Barcelona's record this season, by the way, in Liga F, the top flight for Spanish women's football, Played 26, won 26, scored 108, conceded 5. I mean, when I say they're vaunted, I mean, this side, they're absolutely ludicrously good, or at least ludicrously good, compared to the rest of women's football in Spain. Credit to Real Madrid, who had a good season, but, you know, compared to Barcelona, I mean, this is going to be a real challenge for Wolfsburg, but best of luck two of them. We talked about the fourth tier of the German men's game last week, so I feel like I have to talk about the Women's Champions League semi-final. It was a fantastic game, though. I really enjoyed watching. I'm very glad I did as well. Meanwhile, Bayern Munich are going to win the Frauen Bundesliga because apparently we can't even have any escape from Bayern winning anymore. At least when Wolfsburg were dominating the league, it was fun and interesting and different. Anyway... Let's move on then to the final segment of the podcast, the segment I've been incorrectly calling Topspiel de Wokkenende over the last few weeks. Yes, it's Topspiel das Wokkenende. I don't know why I auto-corrected it in my brain, or should I say auto-incorrected it in my brain to Topspiel de Wokkenende, but it's Topspiel das Wokkenende. And, like, I feel like I knew that all along anyway, but... Still, let's just issue a correction and move on with our lives. So, let's start off then with my game of the weekend from the Bundesliga. And for me, the best game is Hertha Berlin against Stuttgart Saturday, 3.30pm kickoff. All times in Central European summertime as per usual, knock off one hour 
if you live in the United Kingdom. And obviously this is another relegation six-pointer here to Berlin. Bottom of the table, 22 points from 30 games, six points behind Stuttgart who are in 15th level on points with 16th place Bochum. If Hertha don't win this then you've got to think that they will be having to prepare for life in the Svita Bundesliga. Meanwhile, for Stuttgart, if they win this, it'll be a monumental three points on a potential path to safety. Sebastian Hernes and company have picked up eight points through their last four games. Meanwhile, Hertha Berlin have picked up no points through their last four games. But in a relegation battle, it's always unpredictable, and this game will be no different. In the Spider Bundesliga, there can only be one game, HSV against Paderborn. It is a Friday 6.30pm kickoff. And last week, I said that the top three in the Spider were going to remain the top three in the Spider. The only thing that was left to determine was their positioning amongst themselves. But this game could prove that to be false. HSV's defeat against Magdeburg at the weekend, going alongside Paderborn's win against Eintracht Braunschweig, means that the gap between the two sides is six points with four games to go. HSV on 56 in third, Paderborn fourth on 50. If Paderborn win this game though, then they'll be just three points behind HSV with three games to go. And at that point, you have to consider them as being involved in the promotion battle. So it is a put-up or shut-up game for Paderborn because failure to win here would mean that they were, well, either six points behind with three to go or nine points behind with three to go. And at that point, it would be over for them. Obviously, St. Pauli and Fortuna Dusseldorf, also on 50 points, will be looking at that game with interest as well because they could cut the gap to HSV to three points with three games to go as well if they win their games and Paderborn win against Hamburger. St. Pauli are travelling to Darmstadt, so unlikely. Meanwhile, Fortuna Dusseldorf taking on Holstein Kiel, so more likely. Meanwhile, a fantastic game at the wrong end of the table as well on Sunday, a 1.30 kickoff between Eintracht, Braunschweig and Sandhausen. Obviously Sandhausen, seven points of their last three games, looking much better under Gerhard Kleppinger. Meanwhile, Eintracht, Braunschweig, just three points clear of 16th place Arminia Bielefeld and just four points clear of bottom of the league Sandhausen. So an absolute relegation six points of those two games are going to be absolutely fascinating. And in the Dritter Liga, it was an easy choice to make as well. Dinamo Dresden against Bayhen. Dinamo Dresden fourth on 60 points. That's a playoff promotion place at the moment. Promotion playoff place. Yeah. It's a promotion playoff place at the moment. Meanwhile, they had 63 points in third place, which is the automatic promotion spot because of Freiburg Schwein being in second. So Dynamo Dresden could go into that automatic promotion spot with a win. They had, meanwhile, will be hoping to keep hold of that automatic promotion spot, of course. And if Alversburg keep continuing to be terrible out of nowhere then who knows, Vahen could still challenge for the Dritter Liga title. Anyway, that is all the time we have on the Going Deutsch podcast today. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back with more from the something world of 
German football, I'll be honest, I'm not quite sure. I'll tell you how I feel about German football next week. Hopefully it won't be as crushing as the beginning of this week was, though. The first game that I'll be watching in German football this weekend is HSV against Paderborn, so I'm sure it'll crush my spirits again anyway. Thank you for listening. I've been Alex Woodward, and until we meet again, I'll be the same.